This might be a really big mistake. We're going to find out in a minute. I love uh, guitar. I've played guitar for 25 years. You will be amazed at that when you hear this in a minute. You will. You will say, did he say 25 minutes? What did he say? Um, but I love playing guitar. It's been a big hobby of mine for years. So this is actually one of Doug's guitars. My, my Fender guitar has been in America for four years, and I've missed it. Um, my wife actually names my guitars um, because they mean so much to me. So, um, okay, here we go. You guys are, this is a church full of grace, right? Good. Well, I was going to do more, but I think that's enough. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. I think I made the point that I am not a guitar player, but I do love guitar, and I'm a Fender. I'm a big Fender fan. That's a Telecaster. Uh, they make a Stratocaster. I've got a Stratocaster at home, and the guitar is a huge part of rock history and music history. And I know there's probably some Gibson people out here, if you know guitars. There's kind of two, two classes. It's kind of like, you know, like in church, you've got pre-trib and post-trib, you know, right? And we argue, oh, no, it's this, it's that. Well, you've got the Fenders and you've got the Gibsons, right, in the guitar world. I'm a Fender guy. I love the Fender. And if you're looking for a hobby, you ought to go out and buy a Fender guitar. I think it'll really add value to your life. Okay? Can we start the message now? Okay. Um, oh, no, just before I start the message, because I really didn't work on it much this week, so I'm trying to buy myself some time. Um, <clears throat> tonight, I'm going to a restaurant called Morton's Steakhouse. Anybody been to a Morton's Steakhouse? Maybe some of the business guys. It's kind of, yeah, all the, all the men, most of the men, some of the ladies are smiling too. Um, one of my golf students owns the restaurant, and as a gift, he's allowing us to go and, and have dinner there. We've done it one time before, and like... When you go to dinner, they're like, it would cost a family of six probably a thousand U.S. dollars. Like, it's crazy, right? But they bring in like the, they'll bring in like a five-pound lobster. Like, the thing's still alive walking around the room. And, you know, they're like, if you want that, you can have it. Then they bring the cow in, you know, and you get to name the cow and the whole thing. But it's an amazing restaurant. If you're looking for just a great dining experience, um, you could go to Morton's. You do have to set a little money aside. But I'm a big fan of Morton's. I think it's great. I think you ought to try it one time in your life if you're a person that likes you know, an experience of dining, and if you like steak, okay? Okay, got it? Somebody going to go to Morton? Somebody? Show me. Okay, thank you. Somebody's going to go. Okay, all right. <clears throat> okay, the message. Oh, no, wait, one more thing. Um, <clears throat> I've been here for almost four years. My family and I have been to the Great Wall many times, and uh, I've never been more impressed by something in my life um, that's man-made than I have been by the Great Wall of China. And I'm just, just curious, has anybody, has everybody been there? Can you just, if you've seen the Great Wall once, can you just, okay. Either I've lost some of you or everybody's, almost everybody's been there. Okay. Um, we just recently uh, had dinner with some folks who were sort of new to town. They went up to the wall recently. They were sharing the same kind of excitement with me about, it's just an amazing thing to stand on it and ponder. How did they do it? You know, and it's pretty cheap. You can go there for a, a small price and you can see this amazing feat that, you know, China has accomplished. I think everybody should go to the Great Wall, and then after that, you can go to Morton's, and then after that, you can go buy a guitar, okay? Okay, got it? Okay. Okay, so that was all pretty, 
pretty silly and unimportant, really, right? But you know what I've discovered in my life? I have no problem being passionate about things that I love. I have no problem talking to people about a movie I've seen or a hobby I have or a restaurant I've been to. But, you know, I've been in ministry for 25 years, and I still get timid when it comes to sharing Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life. And I don't know why that is. Why is it that we can so easily talk about things we're passionate about, and then when it comes to Jesus, we kind of pull the reins back a bit, you know? I'm just telling you, that's my experience. Now, I do share Jesus with people, but I recognize there's a little bit of a a thing, and I don't know what that is. But what I can tell you, we're going to talk about Jesus today, and what I can tell you is that it is impossible to exaggerate who Jesus Christ is, right? We just had some great worship, and regardless of how passionately you worship Jesus, it's not enough. It falls short of the glory that's due his name. No matter how appreciative you are of Jesus in your life, we are not able to fully express it to the level that it should be expressed. Right? Jesus, you cannot exaggerate him. Whatever it is you have to say about him, it's not enough. Right? And we are to live our lives so that everything we do, everything we don't do, and everything that we say reflects an honor and a reverence for his name, always being ready to tell people about him, even though our best words fall short. Um, but there is a pastor who did a pretty good job of trying to explain Jesus once. And so I'm just going to let him talk to us for three minutes, and uh, then I'll, I'll come back up. But we're going we're gonna to listen to this guy talk about Jesus here. See, I told you we couldn't describe him. <laughs> All right, that goes on for like two more minutes, but I know we're struggling with it, so we can, we can stop it there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I wish I could preach like that. That guy's a great fiery preacher, or was. Uh, he's with the Lord now, but, um, but uh, he goes on for two or three more minutes just trying to use language that would honor the name of Jesus, but you can't do it. Um, I, I do love music. I just did the guitar thing. Um, I, I'm a music fan. I've been to many concerts over the years, and um, about five years ago in the United States, I went to see one of the artists, not a Christian artist, but one of the artists that I really liked as a kid. His name was Billy Joel. And uh, some of you, you have to ask your parents who Billy Joel is um, to know who he is. But he, he was just a successful, secular rock and roll musician in the 70s, 80s, into the 90s. He's now probably in his mid to late 60s, and he still fills up stadiums of 35, 50,000 people. And about five years ago, I went to see him in concert in Orlando, Florida, and it was packed, 25,000 people, not a seat in the house. And from the moment he walked on the stage till two and a half hours later when he walked off, it was just a standing ovation. Nobody ever sat down. Because the guy had so many hits that people enjoyed that every song was like a number one hit for two and a half hours. And what, what the artist does, you know, maybe you've been to a concert and you see this. An artist will walk out and he plays piano primarily. And he'd sit at the piano and he'd play a little bit and he'd talk a little bit. And then he would say, you know, this next song is a song from the album or the CD I did back in 1984. You know, and, and then he would go on to talk a little bit, and everybody would start to get excited. People would be like, oh, I love that CD. I wonder what song he's going to play. And people would start to high-five each other. And then he would play a little prelude that you wouldn't know what he's about to do. But the excitement sort of builds a little bit. And then it gets to the point where he starts to play the notes where everybody now knows he's playing Piano Man, right, if you know Billy Joel. And the whole place erupts because everybody loves 
that song. And what every artist does as they go through their career and they come to where their body of work is about done is they create a greatest hits CD, right? Some of you have the greatest hits CDs of artists that you enjoy. Um, well, just the way my mind works, um, I read the Bible and, and I read about Jesus and I read some of the things that he taught. And some of it I've read 50, seriously, 70, 80 times. And I just, and it's all good, by the way. All of Jesus' teaching is good. But sometimes I'll read through something, I'll just go, if Jesus had a greatest hit CD, this teaching would be on it, you know? And so I'm going to highlight a couple of teachings uh, from Jesus just to, as we talk about him. But one thing that I think for sure would be on his greatest hit CD, now he'd probably have four or five of them, but on number one in my mind would be the Sermon on the Mount. And people are so familiar. As a matter of fact, you know what? If you've been in church most of your life, you're at a disadvantage to people who've never read the Bible before. In this respect, I believe things like the Sermon on the Mount are too, it's too common to us. If we're church people, you've been around church, we're too used to it. And we read the Beatitudes and we read the forgive others and we read the turn your other cheek and we just zip right past it. You know what I wish? I really wish there would be a way for us to have never known about the Sermon on the Mount and it's almost like one day you just go into a treasure chest and you open it up and you pull out the teachings of Jesus for the first time in your life. You know, and you look at him and you go, this is unbelievable. You know, when you've been around church your whole life, you just, we forget the impact of Jesus' teachings because we're so used to it. But when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was in a place in his ministry where he was extremely popular. Massive crowds were following him. He wouldn't even be able to move in towns. It's so funny. Jesus would, like, heal somebody. And then he would, you know, he would heal the person, right? And then he would say, now, don't tell anybody. Shh. Don't tell anybody I did that. You know, and, of course, the person would run off, tell everybody, and Jesus would be mobbed by bunches of people. And when I used to read, I used to go, why would Jesus tell people not to tell other people? Um, but then one day I was around Tiger Woods, who's a famous, very famous athlete. And I saw the mobs and the crowds of people, and he had three policemen trying to protect him, and he couldn't even move because of all the people trying to get around him. And I realized that was Jesus' life. Jesus would heal people and say, don't tell anybody, because he didn't want to be mobbed everywhere he went. Jesus would often say, guys, let's go off to a quiet place and get alone. Jesus was so popular when he preached the Sermon on the Mount that massive crowds came to follow him. And I think it would be on his greatest hit CD. And I can't show you the whole Sermon on the Mount, but I want to show you a small clip. I think it's very well done. Um, and if this works, we're going to just take a look for a minute. And maybe you can try to think of it for the first time. You hear Jesus teaching a little bit from the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you. you know, psychologists tell us, I know some of you know this, the psychologists tell us that if we all lived... Um, and did our lives the way Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, there would be no mental illness in the world. If we could learn to process life through the words of Jesus, you know, um, the troubles that beset us as human beings in relationships, in our emotional life, even our finances, everything, it would be decreased almost to zero if we could truly live that way. I've read those words, but I tell you, I've been preparing this message this week, and I'm committing myself to go back through the Sermon on the Mount probably for the next three months uh, and just make a look at it and see where I need to apply more in my life. Um, I have a friend who's 86 years old, 
And he and I have traveled and done ministry together. He's done ministry for 70 years. And he spoke at a church one time that I was at. And I was excited to hear him get up in front of a congregation. And he walked up. And he's a, you know, a gentleman that kind of people just respect. You see his age and you know what he's done with his life. And people applauded. And he came up and he stood up on the stage and he looked out and he said, you're about to hear the greatest sermon you've ever heard in your life. And everybody kind of chuckled. And he said, no, I'm kidding. You will never hear a message ever preached better than the one that I'm about to preach to you right now. And we all kind of went, uh-oh, <laughs> what's this guy doing? And then he stood there without looking at notes, without looking at a Bible, and he quoted from memory the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. And I just think, what kind of commitment it takes to do that? Um, but he was right. It was a great message. And uh, so if I was Jesus' producer and I was looking through his body of work, I would put the Sermon on the Mount as one of his greatest hits. Um, and then I think through, there's so many other things, but there's one other part of this movie that I think is wonderful that I want to show you. It's a clip, and we've, we're going to show it to you. It's a little bit, it's going to stretch out a bit, but you can forget about me and just listen to Jesus because Jesus is not who most people think he is. Jesus was strong and tough and confrontational when he needed to be. Jesus was meek and humble and quick to forgive those who were broken and humble before him. But Jesus was as strong as a rock. And when people were, 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 were um, proud. And unwilling to acknowledge God in their life. And in Matthew 23. It's called the seven woes. That Jesus pronounces over the religious leaders. Who were very far from God. But pretended they knew God. And um, let's just watch it. And let's just watch it. See what Jesus has to say. This is all word for word from scripture. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Just clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Jesus was relentless in his passion towards moving people toward God. And anything that would get between a person and the forgiveness that God offers, Jesus was, was adamant about moving it out of the way. There is a passion about Jesus that I don't think we understand. And obviously, this is just an artist's rendering. But this is word for word what Jesus had to say to the men with all the power who had him killed. And he knew that he was standing in front of these men. And he knew that death was what this meant. And maybe this talk was the one. That made these guys decide he's, he's gonna, they're going to get him killed. And they did. Jesus was so, is so gracious and loving and forgiving. Don't walk out here today thinking Jesus is mad at me. That wasn't the purpose of bringing this up. But it's to show the passion of Jesus for the truth of God. And these men, the religious leaders, were blocking the truth of God that was about forgiveness and passion and love and grace. So I think this part of scripture belongs on the greatest hits. And then just finally and real quick, no DVDs on this one. Um, but what defines Jesus' ministry? It's forgiveness, right? There was a man who was paralyzed and his friends brought him to Jesus because he couldn't bring himself there. And there were massive crowds around Jesus. And they got the man in front of Jesus and the man said, I want to be healed. Will, will you heal me physically? I'm paralyzed. And Jesus said, son, I tell you the truth, your sins are forgiven. And it blew everybody away. First of all, the guy didn't come there 
recognizing his need for forgiveness. And I don't know why you came to church today. Maybe you came for a physical need. Maybe you came for a relational need. Maybe you just came for some general sense that you want your life to make more sense. But you know what Jesus says to you today? Whatever you came with today asking God for help with, he says to you first and foremost, I'm willing to forgive your sin. Because he knows that's the deepest need that I've got in my heart and the deepest need that you've got in yours. On Jesus' greatest hit CD, on top of the whole thing, maybe the title of the whole album is Forgiveness and Grace and Love and Mercy and Truth that comes through Christ. By the way, he did heal the man physically after he healed him spiritually. And if you have never asked Christ and accepted the free gift of God's grace, and you do it today, you do it today. You know, we're, so my wife and I and our family, we're going to be moving. We'll be here two more Sundays, but this will be the last time I'm kind of up here, kind of, you know, in a, this capacity doing a message. So I just, I thought through my last words I want you guys to hear me say. So I'm going to say them. I think, I think I'm just going to, the band's just going to come up and play some music. We're going to be free to go. I know we went a little bit long. But I'm just going to say these words, um, and I'm not even going to pray. I'm just going to say these words. The band will be up, and uh, we'll just be free to be dismissed after that. Hey, guys, tell people about Jesus. Tell your friends about Jesus. Tell your family about Jesus. Tell everybody that you know and everybody you don't know about the hope that lies within you because who Jesus is in your life. Guys, tell people about Jesus.